Welcome to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast, sponsored by Markel, the insurance with horse sense. Let's jump right in. This is Paul Costa with the We Love Arabian Horses podcast, and we're thrilled today to have Yanina Murs here with us. Hello, Yanina. Hi, Paul. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, we're always pl- pleased to have you on, and I just want to say that, you know, the Amel story is so great and so many wonderful memories and what you guys are doing today. I mean, it's over 50 years y'all have been in the business, and you're still very, very relevant today. And let's just dive in. I would love to start with kind of how you got started in the business, which is how we start every podcast, and I think we all kind of know a little bit. So why don't you tell us that story, though? Well, I was really, really lucky that I was born into the business. My yep. um, my parents started Omel Arab in 1970 in Germany, and then I came along five years later. I was born in 1975, um, and uh, by then they already had um, a pretty established breeding program. Actually, Malsha Kalam was born that same year as me, which is all my claim to fame. Wow. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and then in in 1984, um, they they moved the whole well not the whole farm they moved some of the horses to the United States and purchased they purchased property here in San Inez and built a farm, and my brother and I and my parents moved to California. Wow, were y'all not in Germany at all at that point, or did you have horses in both places? So actually, um, they we kept the farm in Germany in the Black Forest, and so like 65 horses stayed there. And actually, two, in 1982, they sent 12 horses to the U.S. to kind of test the waters, and Elsha Khan was one of them. And they had said, my parents had decided that if he sold 100 breedings that year, they would buy a farm, and he did. And so that basically bought the farm here in San Inez, and was, they were able to build a, the prop, they, they were able to build the farm. And um, and then uh, a few years later, my parents divorced. <clears throat> my dad moved back and um, back to Germany, and so he actually got half the horses in the U.S. and all the horses in Germany. And my mom began everything again in 1986 with just like three and a half horses. So there's wow. really these two phases of Omel Arab, yeah. Yeah, there's the phase before, and then there's the phase after. She was lucky to have a stopa, our foundation mare, and was able to get two more daughters and had retained one daughter from previous, you know, from the previous phase, um, but kind of rebuilt everything um, in the in the mid-80s with just those few horses. Well, I want to talk about a stopa in a minute separately, but during yeah. those years, were you all breeding? Were you showing? What was What was kind of the involvement of the entire you know, all-male Arab platform. Yeah, they were heavily breeding and showing. So my dad continued breeding and showing in Germany and, um, you know, was show, was showing at the World Championship at that time and, and super successful with those. He was super, super successful with the horses that had been bred actually by both of them. Um, and then my mom um, started up again with the horses that she had gotten in the divorce and um, without El Shaklan, he was sadly sold. And um, but she had Sanadik Elshaklan and Stopa and um, a mare named Binta Stopa and a mare named Bint Shocker, um, who was an Estopa granddaughter. And so with those horses, she basically built the farm that we have that I have here now. Um, so so my, the horses that I have here are the descendants from from those that's from fantastic. that group. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Estopa a little bit because that story alone is so extraordinary. Why don't you tell how y'all acquired Estopa and a little bit about her history? 
So my parents, um, when they were students in Berlin, like college students in Berlin with no farm, no horses, and they decided to become Arabian horse breeders. And so they went to Spain and bought 18 mares. And um, it was right around the time there was there, the, there had been like an import block from Spain. And so the Spanish breeders were really hurting. They hadn't sold horses um, out of their country in years. And, um, and it, it had just, just sort of opened up. And it was right at that time that my parents went. Um, and the opportunity was just there to, to buy really good horses. And so they found a Stopa at Asuna Escalera. Um, they didn't even have pastures. She was just, she was hobbled and, um, and thin oh. and five years old at the time. Um, she'd never had a foal, and um, they fell in love with this with this mare. Actually, my mom fell in love with her. She was originally bought by my mom alone. Like the registration was actually to my mother, which is kind of cool. I love that. Yeah. And um, and then they brought her to Germany. They brought all eighteen mares to Germany and were able to get her in foal. And um, the first foal was this mare, Stasha, who was um, who who I have a line of from here on the farm still. Through Omel Sultana, who I think you may have judged at the World Cup, which is kind of oh, cool wow. too. Yeah. yeah, seven generations later, right? And then, um, so then Estopa, her, her basically her first son was El Shaklan, and I think most people that are listening to this probably know who he is. He's yeah. in so many pedigrees throughout the world, but Estopa is in so 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 many pedigrees. So at the World Championships, just this last this last World Championship in Paris all 18 world champions had Estopa in their pedigrees. So I was just speaking with a friend the other day, and we, she actually said, can you imagine if your parents had never found Estopa, what the, what the breed would look like? Like, it would look different. Yeah, it would. Well, mm-hmm. that's an amazing accomplishment to have 18 champions at the world championship, and every single one has that one mare in their pedigree. Yes, it's amazing. And we kind of do the stats every year, so it's always right around 12. Sometimes it's 16. And this year, it just happened to be 18, which That's is amazing. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back on Estopa a minute. I mean, the reason I think you told me that they were even able to buy her was the people that had her didn't realize – they thought she was a barren mare. Yeah. She she was always a little hard to breed, but she had um, – she was just she was super thin, and they they just couldn't get her in full. And actually, um, it took a little bit to get her in full in Germany too. And um, and then finally finally they did. And and she kind of had like an every other year baby kind of situation. So mm-hmm. um, she liked to kind of take a year off and then have a full. And that's that was one of the reasons that she came to California. Um, in Germany, she had um, a cough. Like a lot of the ger- the horses that came from Spain didn't really love the wet weather in Germany and had um, kind of like an asthmatic cough. And so she, Estopo came to California so that for, for that reason. And she never coughed again here and actually seemed to have, was able to get in full better here too, which was interesting. Yanina, talk a little bit about your mom. Your mom is so well known throughout the industry and has such a history and legacy with everything that she produced before her you know, she passed away. Give us a little scope of her and her personality and why she was so committed to the Arabian horse. Oh, gosh, my mom. My mom was a really, um, really strong, really warm, really wonderful person. And she was so passionate about Arabian horses. I mean, our whole life, lives, our, all of our lives and our family revolved around them. And, and the horses gave us so much. You know, we, we moved from one continent to another because of them. 
um, I'm an American because of because of Arabian horses and because of my mother because of what she wanted to do. I think otherwise, I'd be, you know, a woman living in Germany somewhere doing something random. But sure. the Arabian horses um, really set the stage for our lives and built the farm here in California. Um, I'm raising my son in the same house that I grew up in, which is super 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 cool. I mean, so not not many people can say that these days. Um, and so my mom, my mom was, I think, a visionary. She um, created a look of Arabian horse that had really prior only um, existed in in art. Um, so when she, what she did is that, you know, I told you guys about the 18 mares that were bought in Spain, and then they bought um, a stallion in Egypt. And at that time, people were very much just breeding Egyptian Arabians or Spanish Arabians or Polish Arabians. They weren't mixing them the way they do now. Right. And um and they did. So in 1973, they or actually 1972, they bred Estopa to Shakar al-Masri, so an Egyptian mare. I mean, sorry, a Spanish mare to an Egyptian stallion. And and the the like established breeders in Germany scoffed at my parents. They thought that they were just crazy. <laughs> um and then, you know, El Shaklat, like the the whole Estopa Shakar al-Masri legacy was born and they called it the golden cross at the time in germany so spanish um spanish and egyptian horses mixed were called the golden cross or the omel arab horses were called the golden cross and so wow um that that look was really revolutionary and um and i think it's amazing that nowadays you can still see you know you can see horses in the show ring and you can pick out the ones that have that spanish egyptian look that have that omel arab look and you can see it all over the world, and um, and I think that's that's kind of the legacy that she's left is um, she created a new style of horse, and that horse is still relevant, you know, over like 53 years later. That's incredible. I mean, it's incredible history and incredible legacy, and I know you're living out the legacy now in terms of building its future and its relevance today. What do you do in terms of your breeding now? Are you breeding mostly your own horses? Or are you breeding for others? Give us a little overview on that. So I still I still uh, mostly breed my I, I mean I still breed my own horses I um I have about thirty five brood bears and have about tw- between twenty and twenty five foals a year um and um and I'm very much continuing that I have a little I also I also manage um people's breeding programs here on the farm so I have several clients that don't have their own farms that keep right. their horses with us so I do do that as well. Um, but, but I'm very, very much focused on, on my own breeding program for sure. Sure. When you think about breeding and one thing we like to talk about a lot is breeding programs and stimulating the you know economy for small breeders to get involved. What are some lessons you've learned or some thoughts or tips that you've had over the years that you would think about, um, as helpful advice for others that might be either breeding now or choosing breeding for the future? So I think it's really important not to breed for the current fad or trend, um, but to always focus on breeding a good a good horse, like a good overall horse, um, because you know they're not all going to be the next world champion or the U.S. national champion halter horse. They have to do be able to do other things as well, and so we've always focused on really good minds and really functional horses so that they can be. Uh, under, they can be ridden too, that they can be family right. horses, and can be family horses, um, so that there's sort of a job for each horse that we create, right? Like they're, they're, and and not and we try not to 
stick with anything super extreme. I mean, I want my horses to be really, really beautiful, and I want them to have beautiful faces, but I want them to have good bodies and good legs and sound minds and right. um, and just be good family horses as well. Well, I think that's fantastic, and I know that not breeding for the fad comes up quite a bit because there can be fads that occur in breeding that are a little bit trendy, and then they're they're really not the relevance for the the best long-term value of the breeding program. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that absolutely. And so we've always we've always sort of bred the uh, the kind of horse that we like. I mean, my mother never never veered one way or the other. She bred the kind of horse that she liked. And um and I and I try to stick true to that too. Um because I feel like people are always do come back to good to horses that have really good foundations. And so, so when people are looking for cornerstones for their own breeding programs or for new breeding programs or something to improve their breeding program, they often come to us um, to try to get some of these genetics um, to use in their breeding programs. And we don't have, you know, there's some, there's some bloodlines that, are, that people are using a lot. And, um, <clears throat> and we don't have so many of those here. And so it, it's a nice outcross for, 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 for breeders that are using a little bit more of the you know, the trendier, the trendier sure. lines in the breeding programs. When you think about your breeding program, think about how does your breeding program and where does it affect the breed the most? Have you noticed the particular areas where you've had the most impact? That's a really good question. Um, I think that the what we do is provide um, foundations for people. So I have several clients that have built their breeding programs on um, on mares that they've gotten from us, or even just or embryos that they've bought. Syner- sure. Synergy, uh, Michael Weinstein and and his partners, um, the the owners of El Nabila are a really good example for that. They came to us maybe 12 years ago and and purchased embryos from several mares from some of our key mares, and <clears throat> if you look into their breeding program now, um, those. The, their their key horses are out of those mares. So Atticus El, uh, ENB, who's their their main breeding stallion, is out of Om El Benedine, for example. Then they mm-hmm. have a mare that they named after me, Janina. She's out of Om El Gina. They also bred Titan <laughs> AS, who who I know, right? They also bred Titan AS, and he's out of Om El Belladina. And so those horses have become really relevant, but they're really they're out of our you know foundation stock. Berlin MP is another example. Um, we uh, we co-owned Omel Belinda Stopa with uh, Mindy Peters. We bred her to Alfabia Jeep, who was an Egyptian stallion that we had on lease here on the farm and produced a really pretty filly. And then Mindy, uh, for her year when she bred uh, Belinda, like we would switch off years, um, bred her to the same stallion and produced Baraka MP. And so, you know, so those those foundation mares are are um, are really important, and they can be bred to these different stallions, and then produce these pretty amazing breeding stallions or breeding mares for people. So I think that's I think that's kind of where um, where we we excel, you know, in in kind of providing the foundation for other breeders to then that's fantastic, yeah. Continue, yeah. Well, and I know that impact is worldwide now. There's Amel pretty much probably in every continent. Yes, they're they're on every continent, absolutely. So, Yanina, tell us about this new young breeding stallion that y'all have. So his name is Omel Maximus, and um, he's three years old, and he has his first 
His first group of foals were just born. Actually, I'm still waiting for two more. Um, but the, his very, very first foal is so, so outstanding. And she is she belongs to my dear friend and client, Sherry Conrads, who's been breeding for years. And this is by far the most beautiful foal that she has ever bred. And the mare, the mother, is uh, by Omel Bellissimo and then out of a Julie and El Jamal daughter that she bought from Sheila. And um, she's one of the, she was a, the, one of the one of the first varying clients that kind of has come my way since Sheila's passing, um, mm-hmm. and I'm so fortunate to have her as part of the family, and I'm so proud of her for breeding this really really exceptional filly. Her name's Marilina SC, and she's by Omel Maximus. Um, and I think we're gonna. I, I don't know if you guys follow us on Facebook or um, well follow us on Facebook or Instagram. There's some photos of her on there she's so special and i'm so excited that maximus can produce something like that that's fantastic and i know when i talk to breeders they get so excited about seeing their horses whether they own them anymore or not and they watch their horses that have been bred you know in their careers and they're they're showing or where they go to families or whomever and i can hear that in your voice yeah so if you ever do any if anybody ever does any business with us then you become part of the family and so then like you know your success is totally my success absolutely um so i'm so yeah i'm i'm that's that's definitely part of part of what makes me tick well we like that and we love arabian horses so we love that too so one thing that's part of your family also is Nedra Johnson and the Academy Riding Program. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and how it's interact, in, intersected with Almel Arab? Yeah, so um, Nedra Johnson's Arabian Riding Academy has been at Omel Arab now for two and a half years. I think it'll be three years in, in the fall, actually, already. And um, so we have... We kind of have two properties. We have the original Omel Era property, and then we have a 10-acre property that we were able to purchase about 15 years ago that kind of adjoins, and it's the perfect spot for the Riding Academy. It has an arena and a little round pen and lots of pastures and a small barn, and the kids get to just, like, run wild there. They, you know, they they – they they can do their own thing and they're kind of separate from the main barn, but they can come over and like see the foals and be part of the main barn activities as well. Um, but Nedra has a, a really really wonderful writing writing program, and during the during the school year she teaches in the afternoons and on the weekends, and then during the summer, which is summertime right now, she has a writing camp from nine o'clock to two o'clock all week long, and um, the best thing is my son gets to go. So I just drop my kid off on my own farm for summer camp every day. And, um, and yeah, it's amazing. And so she, she does, she runs her program mainly with Arabian horses, and they're usually retired um, show horses. Um, there are, let's see, there's two of my own, three of my own actually that are part of it. Um, which is great. My mom's riding gelding, Omel Bazan is part of it, and then Omel Bomani and then Omel First Dream. So those three are part of the riding school. So she actually has Omel Arab horses at the riding academy at Omel Arab, which I love. My my son has a little pony, Cinderella, and um, and then she Nedra has, I think, two other ponies, and then the rest are all retired show horses, which is so, so cool. And if you could see these kids ride, uh, it's amazing. So I've watched a lot of them kind of start out and then become really phenomenal riders over the over the last few years. Um, well, I watched really the Facebook post from – it's <laughs> exceptional. And I watch the social media posts and stay in touch with Nedra, of course, myself, 
for the Academy and all male Arab. And it's just the amazing photographs that come out with all those kids and their Arabian horses and doing all kinds of things. It's just really, you know, stimulating because we see how much they love it and enjoy it. And, and whether they're doing a lesson after school or they're there in the summer, they just are, it's amazing. No, it's really special. And they never really, you know, she doesn't do much herself for them. So they have to go get their own horse and they have to brush it and tack it up and pick its feet. And like, she'll help them if they get stuck on something or she'll teach them to do it properly, but they're really like doing it on their own. And I, I'm, I have an only child, right? So like my child gets lots of stuff done for him, but he goes to riding camp and she's like, no, you can do all that yourself, buddy. And then he does, which is wonderful, which is really wonderful. Um, and then the kids really get an amazing foundation. Most they get, they get to choose if they want to ride Western or English or bareback. And I swear to you, most of them want to ride bareback. And so then they get this amazing seat. They're cantering around and they're jumping and they're, you know, doing it all bareback, which, and then, and then before shows, we make them then, you know, choose a sat the saddle for whatever discipline they're going to show in. Right. And then they all practice with their saddles and, it's just a really, it's a really special program. And they, they can kind of like grow up the way I think, you know, people that are more our age grew up, just mm-hmm. a little more free, more free and able to just, I don't know, test the waters of stuff without um, too much control. Um, it's, it's a really, it's a really great program. Well, I think it builds an equestrian, right? It's not just someone who knows how to yeah. get on a horse and ride it to show it actually builds a horse person, a horse man or a horse woman in the future. Yeah, no, for sure. And they med- they medicate. You know, if there's like a wound, they learn about wound care and they learn about flies and fly spray and they, they have to clean the pens and they feed the horses. And so, yeah, there it really is building. She's building the next generation of, of horse people, which I think is something that we need so desperately. Yeah, it's really great. Well, I think the history of where you've been and the, his, the the future of where you're going and then adding the Academy as well is just wonderful things that we've talked about today, and we really appreciate your time. Um, if anyone wanted to reach out to you to catch up, do you have a particular email address you'd like to share? So my, our main farm email is info at omelarab.com, and that's on our um, on our website also. So if you go to omelarab.com, all of those uh, details are on there. My phone number's on there. Um, you can reach out, send me a text message, call. I'm happy to chat with, you know, with, with anyone that wants to chat. So That's and, great. And also come, in, also come and visit. Everybody's welcome to come and visit. Well, thank you from We Love Raving Horses for being such a large advocate for the breed and so energetic. We, we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And thank you for all that you do, Paul. I really appreciate that, too. And it was so nice talking with you today. This is Austin, director of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, make sure that you click subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Comments, questions, guest ideas, feel free to send me an email at austin at welovearabianhorses.com or just use the contact us button on our website at weloveArabianHorses.com. Thanks for listening.